Good morning. I would like to open up in prayer, and then I'm looking forward to sharing with you all this morning. Father in heaven, we just thank you for your presence, Lord, we thank you for your spirit, Lord, we thank you for the love that, that is in this room, God, we thank you for your mercy and your grace, Lord, uh, specifically, Lord, I thank you for the word of God, and I thank you, Lord, that it has uh, the power to, to really transform our hearts and transform our perspective, and I pray, Lord, that as we, as we study your word today, that you would transform us, Lord, for the better. God, and I just thank you in advance for, for what you're going to do during this time, and it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. Uh, my name is Alvin Love. I serve as pastor of a church in Nashville called Nashville Life, and uh, I'm really honored to be here. I can't tell you how much of a blessing it's been just even this morning meeting your leadership and uh, just the presence in this room, the voices, it's so refreshing to hear so many amazing voices worshiping God, and I've just, I don't cry easily, and I promise you, I've been weeping at that seat um, because, I don't know, something, something's here. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Let's be honest. He's here, and then just the way the Simmons prayed and blessed me while we were having prayer time, I'm already full, so thank you for having me. Um, before I was pastor of Nashville Life, I was uh, friends with your beloved Anthony Bills. I went to Montgomery Bell Academy with him, and we graduated together, and he's one of my favorite people, uh, one of the funniest guys I know. Every week I knew I was just going to laugh all day if I was in uh, class with Anthony, and uh, I'm just glad to be here. But I I'm here on a mission I'm here on a mission to encourage you all as, as uh, Fourth Avenue Church of Christ. I'm a strong uh, believer in the power of the local church, and it's my desire to encourage you all. Um, I think it's important for us to know how powerful the church is and how purposeful it is. Um, in every generation, God has worked specifically and exclusively, I believe, through the people of God. And I just want you guys to know that this is not some ordinary group of people. This is not some ordinary meeting. This is the body of Christ. And I want to open up with the scripture that I think is going to sort of set the tone. It's from the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And it says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And some takeaways from this is something that I want us to remember and just be reminded of, and that is the church is something that Jesus has established, and it's something that he is building. And this is not some ordinary builder. This is the king of kings. This is the Lord of lords. And what Jesus builds, he builds for it to last. The scripture also specifies that he has built it on a rock, which is a firm foundation. And for those of you who are familiar with the parable about the house that's built on the rock, and then the house that's built on, the sand, on sand, when a house that's built on the rock is, is confirmed on a firm foundation, it's able to withstand the worst storms, and it's able to withstand the worst trials, and even after the worst things, including the gates of hell, bringing opposition to the church, I strongly believe that the church will stand and endure the worst of trials. And I think that's a confidence builder to us as the church, that we can actually face 
anything, including the gates of hell, and we will still stand because why Jesus is building this church. And that is a, a conviction that I, that I live by every day. It's why I do what I do, because I just have so much confidence in the institution of the church. Um, I didn't always have this conviction. This has not always been the way that I thought, the way that I felt. Uh, I still pinch myself sometimes that I'm even up here doing this every week because uh, like many of you all, in the beginning of my story, I was a sinner. And I did not believe, and I, I was a unique sinner in that I was a church-familiar sinner. I grew up in church. My parents were uh, very committed to our local church, and I had a cultural connection to Jesus. I had a family connection to Jesus, but uh, when it came to my own personal heart and my own personal belief system and my own personal convictions, there was really nothing there. And the revelation came to me in high school when I started to get a little more independence and I realized that outside of the context of my parents, there really wasn't much there in me. And uh, I was driven to a pretty dark period of my life. I was in a lot of sin and uh, just hurt, bitterness, resentment, confusion, rejection. And that was my life pretty much high school through college. I graduated from Belmont University. I was a music major. And after I got out of Belmont, I was just lost. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I just knew I wanted to get out of town. I wanted to get out of all things familiar. I grew up in Nashville, went to college in Nashville. I was tired of Nashville. So I, I, I wanted to leave, but I come from a very big family. My mom's a gospel singer. Her name is uh, Cece Winans. And she, 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 uh, She's very connected to a lot of pastors around the country and honestly around the world, so much to where I couldn't think of a single city to move to that my parents couldn't call up someone, a pastor in the city and say, keep an eye on Alvin and I'd probably have a car outside of the house every Sunday morning to drive me to church. And it was so difficult. I literally could not think of an English speaking city in the world that we didn't know somebody. Uh, but there was one and it was Melbourne, Australia. Specifically Melbourne, because we know people in Sydney. Um, so I was like, I'm going to go to Melbourne, Australia. I'm going to spend three months there and just do my thing. I wanted to be obscure. I wanted to be disconnected. And I wanted to be lost uh, freely, if that's a thing. And, and I, I get there. I knew one person. My mom had sang there. Our family went there years back to sing at a church. And we had a driver that was around my age. And I... Uh, Kept in touch with him via, I think, Facebook. And I told him I'm coming up for three months and he happened to have a spare room in his house, him and his roommates. So I could rent that room for the three months I was gonna stay there. I get to Australia and he invites me to church. And at that point, I'm kind of been there, done that with church. But I didn't know anybody in this city, so reason kicked in and I was like, I wanna at least show up to meet some people. Little did I know that I was gonna meet a lot more than people when I got to this church. This was the, one of the most uh, passionate, sincere, faith-filled churches, and I was completely shocked. I didn't know, I, didn't, I had no idea I was being set up by, by God and probably the prayers of my parents. Um, and I met the pastors after church, and I had a big smile on my face, and this, these pastors happened to be pretty uh, bold and, and just went for it and said, even though we're seeing a smile on your face, 
we can see past that smile and your soul is in a lot of hurt and it's a lot of trouble. And this is while I'm shaking their hand, by the way. Uh, and and I, honestly, as invasive as that was, I was not offended because I knew they were telling the truth. And all of a sudden, right then and there, I was like, doggone it, this is gonna be a God trip. This is gonna be, a, which was not my intent at all. And they said, we want you to come to this discipleship class that we offer. It's a nine-month course, and it meets after church every Sunday. And, of course, the Sunday that I show up just happened to be the first day of this nine-month course that they offer at this church. And the, also what I didn't know was the guy that invited me, the one guy I knew in this city was one of the volunteers for this class, so I didn't have a ride home. So I had to stay at this discipleship class. I'm sitting in the back, and I can't remember what was shared, y'all, but it was something about what was shared in that orientation compelled me to the degree where I called my family that night, and I said, I don't know who these people are. I don't know what this place is, but I just believe I'm supposed to stay here for this nine-month discipleship class. End up staying for just under a year in Australia, and I can't even go to start to tell you all of the amazing internal work that God did in my heart. Um, I had opened up and confessed sins I never shared with anybody. I forgave people that I even know I needed to forgive. There was so much just toxic buildup in my heart. And by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the, the sharpness of the word of God, uh, the Lord just basically did surgery on my life. And about halfway through the process, I started getting pictures of friends in my mind back home in Nashville, other friends who had that cultural connection to Jesus but were really having a heart disconnect with God. And I began to get a burden for my friends. I'd, I would be in class and be thinking of just random friends back home that I just wanted so desperately to experience the freedom that I was experiencing at this, at this church. By the way, this church is called Melbourne Life Christian Church. Um, and I get home, I, I come back home after about a year and I just start talking about what happened. Uh, I never have, had any desire to be a preacher um, or start a church. In fact, I wasn't even going to church before I moved to Australia, but I was just talking casually to my friends at lunch, at coffee shops, sometimes at bars, and I was just telling them what happened to me in Australia. And not everybody was receptive. Um, a lot of friends thought it was a little too radical sounding for them, and uh, that was tough because it was so real to me, but I wasn't able to connect it with everybody, but there were some, and just so you know, all it takes is a few to start, to start a fire, just so you know. Um, and a few took on, one of which was my roommate at the time, who's still my best friend to this day. And uh, it started to build. More people started to hear that Alvin had turned into this fireball and they start coming over to the house to hear more about what happened to me and we would start opening up scriptures and pray and I started getting a little bit nervous, me and my roommate at the time because we had no credentials, we weren't ministers, we didn't have any titles, we were just some guys excited about Jesus. So I would Skype my pastors in Australia and literally ask, are we allowed to do this? Is this, 
are, are we, are, is this okay? And they're like, absolutely. It sounds like a revival's happening with your friend group. Keep going, keep going. So we kept going and we kept going to where there was about 15 people who regularly were coming to the house. And we would eat and talk and just open up the Bible. Basically an unofficial small group. And, and uh, my pastor's in Australia, we're like, every day we're waiting for you to call us because every day we were having a different testimony of a new person coming to Jesus or a new person uh, coming back to the Lord or rededicating their life to the Lord or, or deciding to believe in Jesus for the first time and people were experiencing reconciliation in their marriage and just th- these things that were way beyond anything I thought I had the qualifications to administer. And my pastor said, what would you say if we came to Nashville and did a condensed version of the class that you took in Australia, which immediately I got reminded of the prayer that I had that I wish my friends back home could experience what I was experiencing in Australia. So my pastors fly all the way to Nashville and do a seven-night version, if if that's a such thing, of this nine-month class. And all I can say is that the same transformation, the same fire, the same renewal, the same faith and, and excitement and passion was imparted to these 40 friends. We had 40 people. I invited 20, 40 came because, as you know, friends have friends. Um, so, so I invited 20, 40 showed up. At this point, it's too big for my house. So I asked my parents if we can use their house. Their house is bigger than mine. And it's still bigger than mine. And, uh, and I invited people over, and God moved in an amazing way. And now we have 40 people now going around town saying, God changed my life. I had no idea how real Jesus was. He, he's changed my heart. This thing happened at Alvin's parents' house, and these Australians came over. And then next thing you know, more people are wanting to hear about this. They're wanting to find out what in the world is happening over at this house. So we invite the Australians back, and 80 people show up at my parents' house. At this point, we have to rent a 15-passenger van, and we've got people parking at the elementary school outside my parents' subdivision. I was the shuttle driver, and I would shuttle them back to my parents' house and back to the elementary school parking lot. By this point, we realized that this had definitely turned into something that none of us foresaw. To prove that, my parents' house was on the market. They were selling it to move to California to live a semi-retired life. They were ready to live on the beach, and they had no plans to start a church. Side story, and then I'll be done. My parents had been receiving prophecies since 1995 that they were going to pastor a church one day. And it never resonated at all. There was never, it never was like, oh, you know what? God did share that with me. It's like, no, I think you heard wrong. They never, it never resonated. And then it got to a point to where honestly, maybe once or twice a year, a different minister in a different part of the world or a different part of the country would say, you know, you guys are going to pastor one day. So much to where my parents started getting a little frustrated because again, there was no, res- it didn't resonate with them. Finally, after like the 10th year of hearing this, my dad was like, okay, his prayer to the Lord was, I'm going to be honest with you. There's really nothing in my heart that's really seeming to connect with this, this, this word that I keep on hearing. But at the same time, Lord, your will be done with my life. And I, I never thought I'd be doing this. I don't feel like I have the giftings for this. But Lord, if you want me to start a church, if you want me to plant a church in this city, you've got to make it so obvious that a blind man could see it. That was his prayer verbatim. And he said when he saw 80 
20-year-old people, uh, 20-something people in his house, in his living room, worshiping God, singing to the Lord like we were doing today, he said he sensed God say, how much more obvious do you want me to make it? So that night, my parents addressed the people. They said, raise your hand if you have a home church. About half rose their hand. They said, take the fire that you've received from this experience. Go back and serve in your church. Help build your church. However, if you don't have a church home, we would love to have you with whatever we're about to plant. We don't know what we're doing, but we believe that this is the Lord, and we're going to take a step of faith. In March 2012, Nashville Life Christian Church was planted in my parents' living room. We'll celebrate 10 years, uh, March of 2022. January of this year, my dad had handed over uh, the position of lead pastor to me, so I just became, I'm fresh in this, I just became pastor of the church, and uh, it's heck of a time to take on the position of a church with what's going on in our, our city and in our world, but uh, I'm doing it and I'm learning a lot, and I think that's why I really believe I'm supposed to be here today because I share with you as a member of a local church um, a lot of the same difficulties that you guys are going through here. We are in a time of a lot of challenge, a lot of transition, um, not just outside of the church, but even in the church, leadership, and all types of things, and it can be very tough. But I want us to take away a few things from the story I just shared. One is don't underestimate the faithfulness of God. Don't underestimate the faithfulness of God. When our faith is low, God's faith is always high. He maintains a high level of faith at all times. I am totally convinced that my story is a product of God's faithfulness to the prayers of my parents the prayers of my grandparents. So for those of you who've got wayward sons and wayward daughters and wayward grandsons, I promise you, I'm a living testimony that if you continue to pray, the Lord will blow you away because here I was as far from God as possible and now I'm on stage talking to you fine people and it's, 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 it's amazing what God can do. Number two, don't underestimate your influence with your friends. Before a movement started, before a church started, I just shared my story with friends. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, your testimony is so much more powerful than you actually realize. If you just simply share what God is doing in your life, you'd be amazed of the effect and the impact that it would have on your immediate circle. So I don't want you to underestimate your influence with your friends. And then number three, don't underestimate the future of this church. And by this church, I'm specifically talking about Fourth Avenue Church of Christ. And I want to encourage you guys that, that the future of this church, and I truly believe that this is from the Lord, is going to be more glorious than anything that we've seen in the past. And there's a text that I want to read from. Uh, before I get into that, our church, Nashville Life, is in a series called Zeal for the House. Zeal for the House of God. And essentially, we are all recovering from a pretty rough year and a half. We've all been hit in various ways. And it's, it's time for us to, to get back engaged. It's time for us to kind of get back into the game and get focused into building the house of God. We've, we've had our times of recovery and getting, getting our, I don't know, there's just been a lot going on. And it's time to reassemble. It's time to get to work because God is still on the move and he needs his believers to be in unity 
He needs us to be in sync with his will. So we're really trying to stir up zeal again for the house of God. Um, And we're using the book of Haggai to do that. The book of Haggai has an amazing story that I think is so relevant to us today. Uh, God's people are are going back to Jerusalem after a great exile. They had been in exile and captivity in Babylon, and they come back, and Jerusalem is in ruins. It looks nothing like it used to look before. Jerusalem used to be an amazing city, and now it's basically a desolate wasteland. And there's about 50,000 of Israel that were charged with the task of rebuilding the city, specifically the temple, the house of God. And they were excited for about a couple of years, but as we know, it's easy to start excited but sometimes that zeal and that excitement starts to decline, and that's what happened with God's people. And God used Haggai to address the people to say, hey, it's been 14 years since we've been working on the house of God, and it's time to get back engaged in prioritizing building the temple. And he brings correction, he rebukes the people because they were preoccupied with their personal affairs and their personal homes, and they were neglecting the house of God. So he addresses them, and they come back, and they start to rebuild the house of God. And it's an amazing story. We, that's Haggai chapter 1. But I would like to pick up on Haggai chapter 2, and it's a little bit of a long passage, but I believe there's some revelation that's applicable to this church. Um, In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory. And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is it not in your eyes as nothing? So basically, based off how you see it right now, is the way the temple used to look and it used to be, does it seem like it was way more glorious back in the past? than how it looks right now. Verse four, yet now, yet now, be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted, covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. So my spirit remains among you. Do not fear, for thus says the Lord of hosts. And take heed to this next part. Once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. And this is the part, guys. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater, greater than the former says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, 
says the Lord of hosts. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? So here we are, we're we're reading about a people who were facing a, a temple that looked like nothing compared to what it used to be. And God was really challenging their mindset and their perspective saying as as easy as it is and as tempting as it is to yield to the narrative that the best days were back in the 50s or man, the best days of the church were in the 60s or man, the 70s, man, it was amazing or in the 80s, man, this place was packed or man, in the 90s, man, oh, it was so much better or before COVID, man, the numbers were so much better. Oh my God, it was so much better before COVID. It's so easy for us to give into this belief system that the best days of God's house was yesterday. But that's a very discouraging and very inaccurate way to think because who wants to work on something that's on a decline? Not only is it discouraging, but it's not true. And God is always coming to bring truth to our lives and he wants to challenge challenge us with even though right now it looks like It's not as good as it used to be. He's saying, I dare you guys to believe that what's coming is greater than anything that we've seen in the past when it comes to this church. And there's no disrespect on the glory of the the former. I honor those and the giants and the heroes of this church in the past and, and the great moves of God that have happened and the great things that you guys have done in this community. But as glorious as it's been, I give you a word from God today that the glory of the past will pale in comparison to the glory that's to come. And I just want to encourage you all to learn from the book of Haggai and let's change our perspective. Let's get to work. Let's have faith knowing that, that what we hope for is ahead of us. And I truly believe that if this church, and by this church I mean the body of Christ, because this word is for Nashville. I haven't talked to a single pastor or a single church leader that's That's not saying the same stuff. We're all going through the same struggles together. And it's so important for us to realize that according to God's word, the latter house will be greater. So yes, there is a shaking right now. And it looks like the first thing that God said was who is left? Sometimes we ask ourselves, man, who's left around here? I've asked myself that question at our church. Who's who's still here? And even though there's a shaking and it looks like there's just all things are falling apart. Jesus says, I want you guys to be open to that shaking could have been coming from me. He says he shakes things. And what he does, the thing about the shaking, as uncomfortable as it is and as tough as shaking is and as, as much as it throws us off our rhythm, what shaking does is it shows those who are actually rooted. It reveals who's actually planted. It reveals those whose feet are actually on the rock because again, It's only those who are planted on the rock that will still stand after the shaking. So even though it's it's tough, what God is doing, he's revealing those who are truly planted. He's revealing those who are truly committed, the ones who are truly faithful. And when the faithful come together, and when the faithful begin to work in unity, the Lord will 
breathe his grace on it in such a way that it'll multiply into something that's better than what we've ever seen before. So that's my prayer for you guys at this church. It's my prayer for us. It's my prayer for the body of Christ across the world that we will see through this shaking a, a, a transformation, a, a, a growth, a, a development, a glorious move of God. And I just, I can't tell you enough how much I believe that if we would just remember the power of our story and just start small, start small, talk to your friends, don't under, coworkers, classmates, neighbors, just share what God is doing in your life. And you'd be amazed, the seeds that will be planted. And I just believe that more people are gonna come to Jesus. I think more people are gonna hear the gospel through this ministry. I believe that this ministry at Fourth Avenue is gonna serve the community in a way that brings people to him. And so many people are moving to this area. There's, the harvest is unbelievably big. But what does the word say? The laborers are few. So I'm calling up to the laborers in this church, those who are willing to contribute to, to labor in this harvest field so we can see Franklin and the greater Nashville area. And you guys are online now, so now that the possibilities are endless of people that can hear the gospel through this community. And I just pray that for you all because I believe that it's his will for you. I believe it's his will for his church. So I'm just gonna end in prayer. And uh, yeah, Father, I thank you for this church, God. I thank you for the leadership in this church. I thank you for the congregation. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for, uh, for your sovereignty, God. And I thank you for scripture. I thank you that we have the example of this body of believers in Haggai that, that experienced a great shaking. And it was difficult and it was tiring and it was discouraging, but God, but you came and you brought encouragement that let them know that if, if they would just hold on and obey you, they would see something even more glorious than what they've seen in the past. And I pray that same story for this church, Fourth Avenue. I pray for the glory. I pray for the fruitfulness. I pray for the impact of this ministry, Lord, to outshine anything that we've seen up to this point. Lord, I just thank you in advance. I thank you in advance for your faithfulness. And I pray your will over this house in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.